This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, September 13th, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. What were Osama bin Laden's goals? How did the United States play into those goals? And why are we just now learning many of the lessons that we should have learned from September 11th, 2001? Malou Innocent, a foreign policy analyst at the Cato Institute, offers her thoughts. September 11th, 2001 really came out of nowhere from the perspective of most Americans, but U.S. intelligence gatherers uh, in, the, in, of course, in the United States and in other countries, an event like this was not terribly unexpected. Right. Many Americans were sort of in the dark about why the United States was attacked on September 11th. Um, there were a string of pre-9-11 intelligence failures. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of them were dealing with the uh, lack of uh, sort of bureaucratic collaboration uh, between various agencies, whether that was, you know, the DOJ and FBI and the DOD, CIA. Uh, But, you know, we did have a number of attacks uh, throughout the 1990s, and many of these attacks began shortly after the Persian Gulf War of 1990-1991. That was really sort of the rallying cry for al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden's uh, sort of affiliate uh, groups around the world. We saw a string of attacks uh, beginning with the first attack on the World Trade Center in 1993, uh, the attacks on the U.S. embassies in East Africa in 1998, uh, the attack on the USS Cole in 2000. And as confirmed by, you know, various U.S. government reports, by the 9-11 Commission, uh, by the Defense Intelligence Agency, it really was the presence of U.S. forces on the Arabian Peninsula that, again, sort of was a springboard for al-Qaeda. Now, even though some Americans are aware of that history, uh, what many Americans are less aware of is how al-Qaeda really emerged uh, and sort of where uh, and uh, exactly how they began to sort of operate and began to attack the United States. Osama bin Laden and his al-Qaeda organization really emerged from the anti-Soviet jihad of the 1980s, during which time uh, the United States and Pakistan and Saudi Arabia uh, was assisting the Mujahideen against the the Soviets uh, in the Soviet-backed regime in Kabul. Uh, But what many Americans are unaware of is that when the Soviets departed, al-Qaeda sort of uh, began using the numerous financial facilitators, uh, charitable organizations, private donors that were mainly based in Saudi Arabia and the Persian Gulf. This was known as the Golden Chain Network. And so when the Soviets departed, he really sort of just reoriented this golden chain from a force of anti-Soviet resistance to a force of anti-American terrorism. And so that's when we sort of see the Persian Gulf War of 1990-91 becoming the springboard and then using that pre-existing financial network to attack U.S. interests overseas. And throughout the 1990s, al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden basically used as his uh, as his sort of rallying cry and his rallying point uh, various U.S. government policies as holdovers from the Cold War and also those adopted during the 1990s, uh, such as the uh, devastating embargo that we uh, imposed on Iraq throughout the 1990s that led to the deaths of tens of thousands of innocent Iraqis. Um, also, again, the stationing of U.S. troops uh, in and around the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, and I think perhaps most importantly, and this is something that always appears in sort of the, the al-Qaeda literature, is America's multi-decade support for tyranny throughout the Muslim world, whether that's in Jordan or Tunisia or in Egypt, uh, Saudi Arabia. A lot of these uh, police states are horribly oppressive. Uh, they crush dissent. Uh, they, they limit the, the, the sort of human freedoms that America purports to promote. And 
from there, I think we sort of see how um, Osama bin Laden sort of stood Clausewitz on his head. Our policies became a threat to us, in, in a sense. And even, in fact, um, a 2004 Department of Defense report uh, concluded that these uh, oppressive police states not only would they be weakened if America would, uh, were to withdraw their, uh, its support, but these regimes would probably even collapse without America's support. Uh, so again, we see how bin Laden exploited American policy and the impact of America's policies in the Muslim world to attack the United States. It wasn't America's values. It wasn't America's products. It wasn't America's principles. It was the impact of America's policies in the Muslim world. September 11, 2001 occurs, a, a terrible human toll. Um, what were Osama bin Laden's specific goals with, with respect to that event, and what was he attempting essentially to entice the United States to do? I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's useful to understand that terrorism as a tactic is a low cost and potentially very high output in terms of what you inspire in your opponent. So what was his goal? Absolutely. I think that we sort of, in terms of have we learned anything from 9-11, I think we've learned the wrong lessons. I think especially uh, when we look at the attacks, the terrorist attacks throughout the 1990s, that the diffusion of power, the cheapness of terror attacks should have rendered heavy-handed, expensive responses to terrorism obsolete. Uh, we didn't learn that. And uh, the Obama administration, the, the uh, President Bush administration, they also didn't learn this. In fact, uh, we sort of resorted to these uh, heavy-handed tactics uh, that fed into al-Qaeda's narrative that the United States sought to weaken and divide the Muslim world, uh, that we sought its oil resources, uh, that we sought to sort of exploit the people in the region. And even though those weren't the goals, uh, those were the impact of those policies. Or that's how the, those policies uh, were framed and how, the, how they were perceived in the region. And I think, uh, as we sort of see now with, with opinion polling throughout the Muslim world, um, al-Qaeda is not necessarily popular. I, I think the nuance in this is that uh, many Muslims feel that al-Qaeda was posing a direct challenge to the United States and that U.S. military presence and U.S. sort of power in the region is seen as sort of an alien occupying force. And because they were a challenge to the United States and the United States, uh, in terms of its policies, are seen as a threat to Islam, uh, that they sort of had sort of passive support uh, for al-Qaeda terrorism. And in some sense, uh, our overreaction made that organization, made their challenge to U.S. power Incredible. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and this is, I mean, uh, a lot of the, the sort of the most costliest aspects of U.S. policy in the wake of 9-11 were very much self-inflicted. Um, you know, we remember sort of this outpouring of sympathy for the United States in the immediate aftermath of 9-11. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of that was squandered, I think, uh, mainly because of the uh, twisting of intelligence to justify the invasion of Iraq, uh, a country that uh, had neither WMD nor a collaborative working relationship with al-Qaeda. So you had those lies that were sort of fed into uh, going to war, so it removed the sort of benign humanitarian intent of the war, uh, or at least that's what it was promoted as by the neoconservatives. Um, but also the policies that were adopted after Iraq, you know, sort of the construction of a worldwide torture regime, uh, indefinite detention, uh, sort of uh, lecturing foreign countries about the importance of democracy and rule of law, and then discrediting those principles in the process. All of that served to feed al-Qaeda's narrative and show how sort of uh, venal America really was. And unfortunately, that, of course, severely eroded America's moral authority. And 
a great deal of what we were arguing after 9-11 required us to have that moral high ground, which we lost. In 2008, there's a sort of a key moment in a a presidential debate, a sort of a firing back and forth between Rudy Giuliani and Ron Paul, in which Giuliani is basically expressing disbelief at this very idea of blowback. And even in 2012, even in 2012, we don't really see a lot of uh, candidates who are are making a case that we actually have lessons. The United States has lessons to learn with regard to its policies, with regard to its place in the world, uh, not to you know shrink, not to uh, project a lack of confidence or not to uh, be uh, too humble, but to say that our involvement in other places has all sorts of consequences that we really can't predict. Absolutely. I think that uh, this notion of blowback makes some people sort of recoil in disgust and think that, oh, well, you know, you're saying that we invited these attacks. I think uh, that sort of misses the point. You know, terrorism is a tool of the weak. Uh, it's, a, it's sort of, you know, in the in the common parlance, it's essentially violence uh, exercised against noncombatants for political ends that doesn't necessarily justify uh, the use of violence. I don't think it just I don't think really anything justifies the use of violence. Uh, that said, I don't think Americans are immune from the retaliation that results from the from America's policies overseas. And I think that's what people who are sort of bringing up the notion of blowback or sort of, uh, and I guess sort of unpackaging the notion of, blow, of blowback as sort of, um, you know, how our policies today might create enemies in the future. Uh, that is something that's just sort of, sort of unintended consequences. That's uh, something that's a reality uh, in any sort of policy, whether that's education policy, tax policy, foreign policy. And that's a reality. And I think, unfortunately, what we haven't learned since 9-11, um, say, for instance, if there's another terrorist attack against the United States, God forbid, I think many officials in Washington would say, oh, well, this is a reason why we must uh, continue to prosecute this sort of war on terror. For me, I would argue, if there was another attack on, on the United States, again, God forbid, that it would prove that the 10 years of endless war and occupation and bombing has not made Americans any safer. And as we just heard earlier this week from uh, Deputy National Security Advisor John Brennan, he said that with the death of Osama bin Laden, and even if we killed, you know, Ayman al-Zawahiri, that we should never relent, we should never relax. So again, this is sort of the endless war being promoted by officials in Washington. And not only have we not learned, but I mean, when we look again at Iraq and Afghanistan, these are endless wars of whack-a-mole. And so even when we try to bring a tremendous force to bear on these foreign countries, uh, it's very difficult. Uh, you know, these sorts of wars, they magnify our weaknesses, and it's extremely difficult for us to impose our will. I think we can uh, uh, you know, sort of exercise our influence, but that's much different uh, than believing that we can reshape foreign societies and sort of direct the destiny of foreign peoples. Malou Innocent is a foreign policy analyst at the Cato Institute. You can read more of her work on Afghanistan and Pakistan at Cato.org.